Will you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, and longing. Speak to us by your word in this time of Advent. Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 to 16. Hear these words. The days are surely coming, say, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think I'm contractually obligated to say that Amy had no part in purchasing this Christmas sweater. <laughs> in fact, um, she told me that she is not responsible for me, um, especially after I walk outside the church after worship this morning. I just want to say that I thought it was cool that he had a little scarf, you know, um, and maybe it's tacky to say, but I'd rather wear this one week than a life preserver for four. <laughs> so, so tales from the hearth. I have to tell you that my favorite parts of ministry uh, are not the administration. It's not uh, the meetings. In fact, in my first appointment, uh, when I was pastor in charge, I would tell people I was the sole pastor because I thought I was, was the only one, right? And they asked me if I had um, a blues service. Sole pastor? Okay. Um, in my first appointment where I was a sole pastor, I would invite the congregation's committees to meet in my den, in the living room of the parsonage. I thought it was their house anyways. Wouldn't it be great, instead of sitting around Sunday school class tables talking about ministry, rather to be sitting in a, a family room, a, a living room, a place to be together as a family. And so Tales from the Hearth are a great opportunity for us to kind of have the imagery of this idea of family. I don't know about you, but I remember back uh, to uh, uh, the ways in which my family celebrated Advent. Uh, we often called it Christmas, um, but we celebrated with an Advent wreath. It was only later in uh, college that I found it, uh, how challenging it is to remember in all the busyness that was going on to light those candles every Sunday. In fact, um, Amy and I joke because before her parents would come to visit us, after we were married uh, during uh, December, we'd have to pre-burn the candles of the Advent wreath because we didn't want to appear as if we'd forgotten to light the Advent wreath. I think an Advent wreath is a powerful opportunity for us to mark the time, to, to be conscious of what's going on in the world as well as what's going on in our hearts. Uh, after uh, grace showed up in our lives, uh, we got into the habit of having an advent wreath that seemed to be mashed up with an advent calendar. 
We took a huge, shallow uh, pottery uh, tray, um, kind of the one that you'd put underneath a large plant to catch the water um, if you were watering it, right? And we would fill it with sand and then take tiny little flower pots, the smallest you could ever imagine, and set them out with little votive candles. And of course, there were 20 of the small candles, and there were four of the larger candles, and those were three purples and a pink, Then, of course, we had that last 25th candle, which was in the center. And what we thought in our heads would work really well for the Advent wreath is that we would light a small candle every weekday, and we would light one of the larger candles every Sunday, and that we would light them all cumulatively over time, right? So the first day, it's one candle. The second day, it's the first and second candle. The third day, you get the idea, the first, second, and third candle. I have to say that the heat that came off of that thing about the third week of Advent was powerful. I think we actually lost a few candles that could have been lit later on because they were melted, you know, in the presence of the bonfire of Advent. You know, marking time's an important part uh, of our lives. I think as a parsonage family, as a, as a family of a Methodist pastor, um, there are so many things to do. And what the Advent wreath reminds us is to slow down, uh, to take a moment, to read scripture, not because it's part of the Advent study or because it's part of what dad's gonna be preaching on, but to read it because we are expecting for the birth of a baby. And so I really like the idea of this practice. All throughout Advent, we've got practices that we want you to take home and do yourself. And so if you, um, like us sometimes, have gotten caught up in the busyness of the holiday and you don't have an Advent wreath, uh, courtesy of the worship team and Sandra Gallimore, you can find one out there. Very cheap, very appropriate, very functional, very good for you to have, either as a family or, or on your own. Um, I, I think if you don't have anybody uh, living in your house with you, invite somebody to come over every Sunday and do the Advent wreath together. Maybe have a, a cup of tea or enjoy some conversation or play a board game as well. But that Advent wreath opportunity marks the time for us. I did some research to figure out where the Advent wreath comes from. It's a thoroughly Lutheran thing. I don't know if I've got former Lutherans in there, you're welcome to decently and in good order say amen. Um, (laughs) And because it's a thoroughly Lutheran thing, it got its start where? In Germany, Um, back about the turn of the 19th century. Uh, There was a pastor who was doing work in uh, the urban center of uh, Hamburg, uh, a Protestant pastor. Um, His name was, wait for it, uh, Johann Heinrich Weichern. Um, In 1839, uh, he was working in a mission school uh, with poor at-risk children in that neighborhood. And the children every day when he would come in to teach class would ask him, is it Christmas yet? They knew December but they couldn't get down all the dates in between. And so Weichern took an old cartwheel, refurbished it, and placed, much like the Camaranos did, though we didn't know we were being thoroughly Lutheran, 20 small candles, four large candles, 
and a 25th for the Christ candle. And every day during December, Weichern would invite uh, the children to come gather around the cartwheel. He would read scripture, offer a prayer, and they would light a candle. And the children could count with him as the light grew, as the Christmas holiday began, as Advent, the expectation of Jesus, turns into the reality of Jesus. I think it's a passionate story. I think what, what else is interesting about that story is where can you find a practice done in a denomination that is adopted and carried throughout most of Christendom? You can find Advent wreaths uh, in most churches and in most homes. I think it's interesting uh, when the Protestants can do it so well that the Catholics pick it up, that the Catholics are doing it so well that the Methodist, Baptist, and Presbyterians pick it up. And then I was so, so proud to figure this out. There are Greek Orthodox churches that do an Advent wreath. Now theirs has six candles in it with a seventh for Christmas Day because their uh, calendar provides Christmas to be celebrated later. Where in the place, where, where in the world can you get most Christians to agree on something? <laughs> Apparently our devotion for Christ is a place where we can agree. You know, um, our scripture passage today, uh, the first one read by Michael comes from the Old Testament prophecy. Uh, the New Testament uh, passage there's been a history of reading multiple passages dur during Advent. I don't like this adjective, but I'm going to use it anyways. The kind of high church uh, expression of worship where there's all the smells and the bells and the stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Uh, I'm sorry, that's football. Um, but those places where, uh, where we have high liturgy and high order to worship, uh, you often find an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel reading. And so in planning our tales from the hearth, we also wanted to grab a little bit more from those stories of our salvation. And so uh, our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. So Jesus is speaking and teaching here. He says, there will be signs in the moon, the sun, and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. This sounds like, you know, Christmas, right? Or were, you, were you listening? It either sounds like Christmas or it sounds like all of us shopping on the last day before Christmas for our wives' Christmas present. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 29 says, then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, the, uh, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life and that the day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. 
Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What a powerful passage. It's, it's almost like Jesus didn't know that this is the most happiest time of the year. It's as if Jesus didn't cue in to the fact that we have hung the lights, we have decorated the tree, that there are presents already coming. What is he saying about be alert? One of the gospel passages for the first Sunday of Advent also talks about how the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn blood red and that two workers will be working in the field. One will be taken and the other one will be left. I think this is the be alert that Luke is talking about. Be alert, be aware, pay attention. One of the ways that we pay attention as a church is that we count the days. And one of the ways that we count the days during Advent is that we light a candle. I think it's interesting that tomorrow is Hanukkah. If you're familiar with the uh, miracle of the lights, there's an interesting tie-in between the Advent wreath and Hanukkah. I think it's easy for us to remember that there's a lot of darkness in the world. There are a lot of things that will steal our joy that there are a lot of things that will distract us from the day. And that if we're not paying attention, the day might trap us and keep us from having our mind on Christ. One of the ways I think about Advent is it's about that time. Do you remember that time when you were excited and expectant for a new birth in the family? I remember when Amy and I we're waiting for grace to be born. We uh, nested, we made the nursery beautiful, we bought more things than any child should have. Um, we were expectant, we were hopeful. We knew what we were waiting for. We were waiting for the advent of a new chapter in our lives. I don't, I don't know how many times you've lit your, lit, your, uh, lit your Advent wreath, or how many times you've gone shopping for a present, or how many times you've rang that bell outside of El Chico's. What are you waiting for? What is it all for? I think our Advent wreath is one way to increase the light. It's one way to fight back the darkness. It's another way to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's another way to let people know what we're waiting for. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.